Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, listeners. I hope you're well. You're now tuned in to yet again another installment of the beautiful game and Eurosport collaboration bringing you our views and reviews of the round of fixtures in the Champions League. Of course, the second legs were played and the the, the winners and, and those who are progressing through to the semi-finals is now finalised. And we're, of course, going to just dissect each of those games on this episode. As ever, I'm your host, Budge, and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej, and the man, the myth, the legend, they uh, also known as as Pete Charlotte from uh, Eurosport as well. Gents, how are we doing? Very good. I'm fab. Great stuff. <laughs> doing great. <laughs> great stuff. Now, of course, Dot, I know you mentioned just there, um, you're not uh, uh, um, feeling too happy at the moment. Of course, we we, we all know why. And we're going to get to that in a moment. You'll have your your chance to reflect and and share your thoughts on 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 the game that we're all thinking about in particular. But we've got to start off with a game that I think we all can agree was an absolute brilliant advertisement for Champions League football. And we were saying off air that if there was anybody that we were introducing football to that weren't, weren't fans or hadn't watched any Champions League games in particular before, that that would be the perfect uh, um uh, introduction to the game and of course we can look no further than the game between PSG and, and, and Bayern the first leg was was intense and, and uh, um, up and down and back and forth and we just hoped that the second leg would would deliver also and boy it, uh, boy did it deliver um, so kicking us off with this one Dej let us know what are your thoughts on on uh, the, the, the second leg of that that tie yeah, as you mentioned, Boj, this was a game for football connoisseurs, you know, full out, all out attacking football. The gloves were off from minute one. You know, both teams wanted to put the other team to bed and score goals. And, you know, we saw chances early on for Bayern Munich. They were sort of like suffocating the play, trying to press the action and get that crucial away goal. You know, they spurned a few opportunities. Obviously, Chupa Moting put one in, but... At the other end, you know, the person that caught my eye, that must have been the best performance without a goal from Neymar. You know, some of the stuff that he was mm. doing with the ball, his ball manipulation, taking risks, dribbling, beating men. Like we see in football nowadays, 
it's programmed side to side. We're going to play out. But Neymar rips that to shreds. Like, he's a throwback. He's one of the few left in this modern game. And, yeah, it was a fantastic time. A hundred percent. I think certainly going into that game, uh, I, the, the main question that I had was, what, what, how do um, PSG approach this game? Do they, you know, go, go for the juggler and try and get an early goal? Do they play a bit more contained? And I'm sure that that is, uh, you know, a, a question that, um, all of the players were, were sort of asking themselves, and of course, Pochettino would have would have been um, de- uh, deliberating on ahead ahead of that game. And you you mentioned there Neymar. I mean, he he did everything you know, but score. Yeah. <laughs> he, he literally did everything, and it was a brilliant, brilliant performance from him. I think not not just him, but all all around, just how mature the performance was. Very very business like, you know, very very calm in in, in possession, playing out of tight tight places um and, and I think I've got to give a special nod to Danilo Pereira who was an absolute gargantuan at the, uh, at the heart of the defense particularly in the absence of of Marquinhos um Dot, in, in your opinion who you know we've obviously mentioned Danilo and, and and Dej mentioned um Neymar a bit earlier but were there any other standout performers in that game for you or anyone in particular that um you know caught your attention yeah, um, Leroy Sane for all the wrong reasons. Um, he left Manchester City last year to become, you know, one of the best wide forwards in the world, one of the best wingers in the world. And yesterday was very, very wasteful when he got the ball in the final third. He had three or four opportunities to score and three or four opportunities to create a goal and he wasted all these opportunities. So I think... Again, Sane has gone to Bayern Munich to compete with the Mbappes and the Neymars as one of the best attacking forward players in the world. And for me, yesterday, he let Bayern Munich down. And it makes you wonder if Bayern Munich had Nabri, they probably would have went through. And I think Leroy Sane came as this glamorous signing. And as of now, he hasn't delivered, if we're going to be honest. But in terms of, you know, standout for the right reasons, I would say Lucas Hernandez, I think... He showed why he could be worth 80 million. I know Bayern Munich spent absorbing money on him, but I think when you saw his 1v1 <laughs> defending yesterday, mm. I think he's got all the raw attributes to be a top defender. And I just want to give a quick mention to Manuel Neuer because this is a goalkeeper that I thought is past it now. But his performance yesterday, there were some situations where you thought PSG are putting this to bed. They're in on the counter and Neuer was just sweeping up brilliantly. But I think you guys are hyperbolizing PSG's performance because I think Bayern Munich were so much more better than them. And I think if they had Lewandowski up front, I think this would have been an easy ride for Bayern, personally. Better in the, in the second leg or yeah, across both times? Both, I think they were better over both legs because, for me, PSG just wow. looked to spring on the counter, whereas Bayern Munich played like their elite team the team that controlled possession, they played like European champions, but I think they just didn't have that final third quality, whereas PSG had mm. Neymar and Mbappe. I get what you're what, saying. What do you but... say to that, Pete? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you agree? Do you disagree? Yeah, I sort of agree and disagree, which I know isn't an answer anyone wants, but PSG, that's right, they were just sitting and they were just waiting, but I guess they didn't need to do anything else because in the first leg, obviously, they got in behind so regularly. And then in the second leg, they did it 
almost immediately. So it was obvious that Bayern were happy to allow it to happen. They backed Neuer um, to make those stops. And he made, as you said, he made a lot of good saves in that second leg. Um, I sort of, I guess, if you're going to talk about Lewandowski not being there and Gnabry not being there, you've also got to praise PSG for doing what they did with basically none of the, maybe three of their back four stars Mm. missing. No Marco Verratti either, obviously no Marquinhos for the second leg. So they had to improvise as well. Like I think you might have seen a different game plan from PSG had a lot of those players been fit. But I think Pochettino just had to do what he had to do to get through. And I think sitting with that deep Mm. block and just letting those front three run riot on the counter, I think that was probably the right move. The test will be what they do against City. And if if they try and play the same game, it might work because City play a relatively similar style. But City are going to be more efficient in the final third, you think. So then they've got to have a different plan. And that will be the moment where Pochettino earns the money he's being paid. Yeah, like, it almost got, got to a point at the back end of that second half where by a minute we're just like, you know what, put us out of our misery. Just score the goal, make it 1-1 and yeah. end this tie. But <laughs> they just gave Bayern Munich hope, hope, hope and eventually they couldn't break it down. I think Thomas Muller was pretty unlucky. He kept making the right runs all game, but he just wasn't getting the quality mm. of service. He's another one. Like you mentioned Neuer and like how people thought he was past it. Like I think Muller's reinvented himself. Um, and I think it's mad that Germany are looking to go into the Euros without him in the squad. Like maybe he shouldn't be starting, but if you if you need a goal late on, he's not exactly like going to hit teams on the mm. counter, but his intelligence of his movement is so good. And I just think, yeah, I, I, I it's obviously a shame because you could go through every single one of these ties and you could point to like two or three massive players who are missing. And that's, a result of this like compressed season because of the pandemic. Um, but I think if PSG beat City and get through to the final and say win it, they're not going to really listen to anyone who says that Robert Lewandowski wasn't playing in the quarterfinals. Yeah, and I think you have to give credit to PSG. I mean, they're a team that's been called flaky, having a soft underbelly, that they're always going to crumble. We know what happened against yeah. Barcelona in previous years. And for them to cross this hurdle you know, exercising those demons from 12 months ago, beating a team that took them out. You have to give them credit. And again, their job was to get a result, which they did. So, you know, we can say that they didn't put in a performance, but they've done what they had to do, which was to sit on the counter-attack and exercise those weapons. So I think this is a massive, massive result for them. And as you mentioned, Pete, PSG versus Manchester City, both of those owners will give an arm and a leg to win that competition. And for me, whoever wins that tie will win the Champions League. Yeah, just a quick one on Neymar as well. I know Dej, you spoke about him earlier, but it looks like a, a switch has been flicked with him. I don't know if it's because mm. it's, I don't know if it's Poch or if it was too cool earlier in the season, but he looks like he's just a little bit more, more on it before. He's really taking ownership. I think there was a point a year or so ago where this was Mbappe's team. And I think that really rubbed him up the wrong way because obviously he left Barcelona to get out of Messi's shadow. And this is very much now the Neymar and Mbappe show. And actually, for the first time, it feels like Neymar's okay with that and it doesn't have to be yeah. his show. Yeah. And I think that's a really dangerous thing for everyone else if those two are actually like... I don't think Mbappe really had any issues, but if Neymar's really yeah. bought into this, I think that's really problematic for everyone else. And I think, sorry, very, very quickly, just to add another <laughs> flip side to that, <laughs> to leave out and admit Di Maria's name in this is a, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a... 
True. Kicking the teeth because I just think he breaks the lines for them so often with his runs and his vertical dribbling. So I think he's just a name that we have to mention as a three instead of a two. Yeah, thirty-three. He's still, <laughs> still covering grandma. There's no tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. We'll certainly be very interesting to see uh, those two um, heavyweight lockhorns in, in in the next round. In you know. Um, but yeah, let's let's wait and see again. Um, a, a, a nod certainly to PSG, as as Dej mentioned there, uh, exercising those demons. You know they could have retreated and 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 caved in with the uh, you know, memories of of what happened uh, twelve months ago, but they didn't. They they, they stuck it out and, and they saw the result through. So so um, hats off to them. Moving on to the next fixture then, which was. Um, the second leg play between um, Dortmund and, and City. Um, Pete, I'd like you to lead on on, on this one. Um, it, it's particularly interesting because we had a very dubious decision in the first leg, uh, if we were if we recall um, the uh, the foul, uh, supposed foul on um, Edison from from Jude Bellingham, and this time round it was a. Um, a contentious decision to give away a penalty. Um, and so, of course, I, I, I'd like for you to give your thoughts on the game, but but also just uh, on that particular moment in, in the game, that, that penalty decision, uh, if, if you could just share your thoughts on that as well, it would be great. Okay, let's start with the penalty. Um, so, obviously, you've got Phil Fremre Chan. He's been at the absolute heart of this, uh, this quarterfinal match over both legs. Um, <laughs> It's so he came out after the game and he obviously said he didn't think it was a penalty. He said he obviously felt terrible for giving it away. Um, obviously, we've all watched it a lot of times. It, it really doesn't look like a penalty. Um, I've got a shout out Dale Johnson from ESPN. He's the go-to guy for this sort of stuff. And he's saying that by the letter of the law, it is a penalty because so the key point here is that the arm is in an unnatural position. So the fact that it deflects off his head does not matter unless the... The only way that a deflection off the player's body matters is if the arm is in a natural position. But because Emery Chan, Emery Chan's hand is in an unnatural position, the deflection off the head doesn't matter, and that's what makes it a penalty. He admitted by, and he's someone who just lives in these rule books, and he admitted that this is a very confusing piece of legislation, and I completely agree, because there is no, this whole unnatural, natural position thing has clearly not been good for the game. You can go back years to when they first introduced it and defenders started defending with their hands by their sides or mm. wherever they felt they wouldn't give away a penalty. But the whole point of VAR and the rules being changed as much as they are is to make football an easy game to understand. And we talked about PSG Bayern earlier, how it's a great game for someone who'd never seen the game before. If someone had watched this game before and they had never seen football before, they would have just probably not watched another game again because you wouldn't you wouldn't have any sort of clarification as to why that was a penalty. And you had the commentators talking about how they didn't understand it and they weren't sure about what it was. The players seemed to not, not know. And really, like we've seen enough examples this season. The referees don't seem to know either. And I don't blame the referees because the rules are being changed all the time and there's no sort of like solidity in terms of what we're looking for and what we're expecting. And that just makes the game worse for everyone it's not difficult to put together a concise and clear rules of what a penalty is like, it's obvious and I think I think Dortmund were going to lose anyway I know the, the penalty got City back into the game but I think they were ultimately probably going to go out 
But it's just enough. You want to talk about how great City were, and they were really good for a lot of this game. And even Dortmund showed their fight. But we've got to start with this penalty, and it's stupid. And something needs to change. Hundred percent. Um, before we go into the the specifics of, of of the game, I wondered if maybe Dot or Dead, you guys had any thoughts on um, the, the the decision? Did you did you agree? Did you did you disagree with it? I think the key word is unnatural position. And when you look mm. at it, what is Emre Chan's hand doing down there? In my mm. opinion, and as Pete mentioned, this tie has revolved around Emre Chan, and I even think in the other tie against Sevilla, Emre Chan was the centre. <laughs> and, you know, I think that was the result of the constant pressure that Man City were putting. They were swarming them throughout. Mm. And, you know, pressure burst pipes. And I think he'd done something where he thought, you know what, I need to avoid, you know, a tapping going in or something. So I think, in my opinion, when I saw it, you can understand why the ref gave it. Mm. 100%. Now... Uh, thanks for sharing your 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 perspectives on that, uh, gents. Now, um, deep diving into the game specifically, um, it, it's interesting because off the back of the first leg, um, we, we posed the question just based on the performances of that particular game. Um, who would you guys take on the plane to the Euros um, with uh, with you in in Jude Bellingham and and, and Phil Foden? And I think it's great that. In the second leg, um, you know th- th- their their names are going are going to be in the headlines again. Both of them getting on the score sheet, um, and both scoring brilliant goals. I think Phil Foden's in particular was was a pick of the bunch. I mean, from the you know just just outside the box, just a power driver into the bottom right hand corner. Um, and so, I guess the, the first question I wanted to ask is, uh, based on this performance, does does your pick change at all? Um, starting off with you, Dot. Um, you, you, in, in the last uh, uh, last time round, you said that you would um, you'd pick Bellingham based on the performance of that game. But from an overall perspective, Foden, uh, do you still feel the same, or are you taking both of them to the Euros with you? Of course, I'm taking both of them. I don't think we didn't <laughs> have that a... option last week. Last week we had to pick. We had to pick one. <laughs> I don't think that's a debate. And. A lot of people think I'm driving this agenda to get Drew Bellingham into the Euro <laughs> squad. But for me, again, he's just backing up why he's such a special talent. And I remember at the time when Birmingham retired his shirt number, there was a lot of outrage on social media mm-hmm. saying, listen, how can you be retiring a shirt of a 16-year-old? But this is a special talent. Mm-hmm. First year in Germany. And let's be honest, he's taken to the Bundesliga and the Champions League like a Dr. Water. He's been terrific. And for me... He's on the verge of starting for England at the Euros, not just making the squad. 100%. He's put in two of the best midfield performances we've seen against the champions-elect of England this season. There are not many players who have put in performances of that calibre. And I I totally agree with you. He absolutely is getting close to a level where you think he should be starting for England. I know Declan Rice is having a great season, but I just think what Bellingham is doing in the Champions League shows that there's no stage that's too too big for him. Yeah. yeah, he's a prodigious, you know, young talent and he plays with such heart. He mm. likes doing the hard yard. You see him like trying to nick the ball ahead of defenders yeah. or midfielders. Like there's a real youthful exuberance. And I know a lot of people are saying the goal, Edison should have done better, but it's almost as if the footballing God said, listen, you're too good to open up your Champions League campaign 
with, you know, a lucky goal. <laughs> you, you just got an absolute corker. Because when that left his foot, that was, that was like, wow, this guy, he's going to have a long future in the game. And also, you have to credit Haaland for his hold-up play leading to the goal. Because mm. I know a lot of people say battering <laughs> round. <laughs> no, you have to applaud. <laughs> What's funny? <laughs> like, if you're sorry, sorry to interject then, but that's what I expect from a very good striker, yet alone a striker that's going to dominate for the next generation who's being valued at 150 million in this transfer market. <laughs> so I don't think we can come here and say, let's credit Haaland for his hold-up play because that's the minimum from an elite striker, no? No, I get your point, but this game, City absolutely smothered him. So this was all about moments. So when you're having your moments, make sure you're delivering. And that mm-hmm. was a big moment for his team to lead them. So I think you have to credit his hold-up play because this wasn't another sort of Bundesliga game where Dortmund were going to be monopolising the ball. You know, so he picked his moments and I thought the way he played it in was fantastic. And again, that was a game for Haaland where a lot of suitors would have been looking. How does he react when his mm. team are hemmed in? Because it's all right when your team are on the front foot dominating defenders, but he looked good. Like he's a striker that can play in the channels. He can hold up. He's sort of like a you know, jack of all trades. And I know people are saying that he's got all of these attributes and someone needs to mesh them together. But I think his imperfections are good. But yeah, obviously you have to credit Manchester City because, you know, at a certain time when it was 1-0, I was like, uh-oh, let's get the popcorn out. Something interesting <laughs> could be happening. But they sort of played with a good temperament. They're like, you know, we're going to stick to the system. We're going to open up display space, work Dortmund's legs, and eventually cracks will appear, which inevitably they did. I think I think again it's, it's testament to the player in 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 Haaland that we're talking so highly of him and and in terms of the expectation it, it's so high and 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 he still is only twenty years of yeah. years of age man crazy. Yeah. it's just crazy that the yeah. ceiling that he's he and you know he's 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 set and established for himself just just another quick side note before we move on to the next fixture I wanted to ask who is Manchester City's penalty taker when I when I saw um, Mares step up for that penalty. I, I was a bit. I was a bit worried. I was a bit. I'm not gonna lie. I was a bit not like. Uh, I'm not. I'm not too convinced. I mean, he Remember did the game against Anfield. Yeah. yeah, he finished emphatically. But I was like, I think. I know, why, why doesn't De Bruyne take them? Like, why didn't he? Well, De Bruyne. De Bruyne's missed ones as well. Like, I'm firm. I'm firmly in Team Edison here. No, I just, <laughs> I, just, I just think you've. I think you've got to give it to Edison at this stage and just see what happens. I think, I, yeah, it's a. It's a problem though because. I don't think there's anyone you could like necessarily pick and be like, I will know that they will score. Like, they haven't got a Gerard or an Henri or someone who you know is just going to hit the back of the net. And I think that ind- I think that indecision is going to pro- is going to hurt them at some stage. Maybe not this I year. Like, yeah. But I th- I guess the thing is, is that they are planning to bring in a elite striker this summer, be it Erling Haaland or Romelu Lukaku or Harry Kane. That person will probably become the first choice penalty taker. You'd imagine. Yeah, and I think just yeah. very lastly on Manchester City, because I think we, we need to give some credit to Pep Guardiola. You know, he's fell short in the last few years, but that was a big mental challenge, going to go down and getting the win. So it's interesting now that they're in the semi-final, but I think they need to be more clinical against PSG because when you waste chances at that very top level, you usually get punished. And I think mm. Kevin De Bruyne, the, the level that he's playing at in this Champions League run is just... 
In man fact, possessed. He's a man possessed. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to take the team on my back and I'm going to drive us all the way to the final. And at the moment, you can argue that he's the best player in the world. Interesting mm-hmm. one, because I think we all mentioned the fact that Manchester City are missing a top elite striker. And in my opinion, that's going to be the difference in this semi-final tie between PSG and Manchester City. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in knockout ties, it's about who can score the most. And, you know, it's all good about the tippy-tappy playing it about. But Neymar and Mbappe are brutal and efficient. And I think PSG will get to the final and ultimately hoist up the Champions League. Wow. Okay, you're nailing it. Yeah, I'm nailing it. I'm sticking my flag in the sand. Fair, fair enough, fair enough, and 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 yeah, I think rightly so. We do need to give Pep his, his flowers. I would give absolutely anything to know what he said to Phil Foden when um, Phil Foden was celebrating that goal. He was like whispering something in his ear, and I just wonder what on earth he could have been saying. You know, we, everyone talks about the fact that he overcoaches and like every, any given opportunity, he's like trying to bark instructions and whatnot to his players. So I wonder if. He was he was doing something like that um, along those lines in, in in that celebration. So the third game we're going to dissect um, is the reason why Dot is unfortunately not too happy at this moment in time. So we're going to allow him to lead on this one. It was a second leg between uh, Liverpool and, and Madrid back at Anfield, and of course um, Liverpool were, were looking to have just another one of those. Uh, uh, historic and memorable nights back at, at, at Anfield. You know, it's 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 a deficit that they've overturned before, um, but ultimately in, in in this tie they they weren't able to. And and so when you look back and reflect on on that uh, that um, tie and and particularly this second leg dot, what do you put it down to? Why why weren't Liverpool able to to overturn that deficit? Lack of finishing, if I'm being totally honest. Um, as for Real Madrid, I think they may win the Champions League, if I'm being totally honest, because they just have that Champions League pedigree, that clout. Very straight one. time champions, mm. experience, youth, a manager that knows how to win the competition. They're not that good, but they are good, if that makes sense. <laughs> and <laughs> When you go back to, to the Liverpool performance, I just think we were very wasteful in the first half. Mohamed Salah had a big chance after two minutes. You scored down there on the ropes because mm. I think they're a team that when they're in cruise control, nil-nil, you know, under their rules, under their terms, they can look good. But I think once you start applying that pressure to this Real Madrid team, they are capable of cracking. Um, but speaking of standout performers, I think Quartar was, was amazing over the two legs because this is a player that when he first went to Real Madrid, it, it was almost like he was on the decline because he wasn't great in his last season at Chelsea, went to Madrid, was being benched, was, you know, abused by the Real Madrid supporters, but he's managed to turn it around and he looks like he's back to his best. And fair play to Real Madrid. You have to give credit where credit is due. I think the defensive duo at the back, Militao and Nacho, yeah. they were solid. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of Liverpool fans are quick to make excuses saying that we don't have our centre-backs, but neither did Real Madrid. And I think mm-hmm. Real Madrid just showed their experience. I think they're one of the only teams in Europe that don't fear Liverpool. And I think that's what sees them over there, the line against Liverpool. Yeah, I think 
Picking up on Courtois very quickly, I think right now he's might be the best keeper in the world. I think he's playing that good. I think he's the reason that Real Madrid are where they are, along with people like Casemiro. Um, the defense oh. thing is the defense thing is really interesting because like you talked about how they showed their experience. I think that this game shows Real Madrid's experience in the transfer market. They built a squad where they're losing players through injuries, and it isn't affecting them in the same way it is ravaged Liverpool season. Now I don't think that Ramos or Varane are as good as Virgil van Dijk, but your point stands. Real Madrid are missing both their first-choice centre-halves as well as their two, both of their first two starting right-backs, and they still put in a defensive performance like that. And we we talked about this in January. We talked about Edin Militao maybe needing a move to like mm. just get football. We mentioned Liverpool as a club he could go to along with Tottenham Hotspur. And look at him now. Like I think there's a very good chance that one of Ramos or Varane won't play in the first semi-final game against Chelsea. Because I think you can't drop both of those players after putting in those performances over 180 minutes. I think the way the way Real Madrid have played is just, as I think, is, um, as you said, Bouge, like is just so streetwise. It's just, you, they just know exactly what they're doing. They've been here, they've done that. And I think, I think they're probably a pretty good bet to get to the final. Whether they'll win it or not, I don't know. I'm not committing <laughs> anywhere yet. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure with the assessment so far. I think Liverpool let them off the hook. I don't think you can say that was sort of like a streetwise performance. I think if Salah scores that goal earlier on, I think it's a completely different game. And I think the thing with Liverpool, they played in spurts. You know, if they could have sustained that pressure over a longer period, I think they would have turned this tie on his head. You know, Mo Salah missing that chance, Genie when Yaldum. But the thing I would say, Real Madrid done what they had to do. They were slow balling. Bodies on the line. Bodies slow balling the, the game. Killing it, no ambition, but we're just going to keep the ball. This is a testimonial for us. We're just going to keep it out of harm's way. And towards the end, I would say Liverpool probably went out with a whimper. That last five to ten minutes, I don't think there was sustained pressure. I didn't think, you know, Liverpool are going to get through. They're going to turn this on his head. And, you know, I think the fans were a massive point. And I made that last week that at the moment, Anfield is just bricks and mortar. You know, those fans there suck the ball into the net. You know, that genie went out and shot that went over. It was a wedding. Those are the little nuances that Liverpool are missing. And yeah, it was a bit of a damp squib towards the end. The last five, ten minutes sort of felt like Klopp was just playing Russian roulette. Ox, come down the top, and come on. <laughs> there was no real method. It was just sort of making subs and hoping they stick. But yeah, Real Madrid... They're here in this stage again. You know, they've done a three-peat. You know, Zidane, he's got serious pedigree, serious clout in this competition. So if he wins it, I won't be surprised. But I think, as I mentioned, I think PSG or Man City will. Like, final point on this one for me. What I would say is that when the quarterfinal and the semifinal draw was made, Real Madrid were probably licking their lips. Say, a Liverpool team that they haven't been great this season. Injuries, not up to the standard. Top four is in doubt. Okay, Chelsea, you don't have European pedigree. So they probably said, you know what? We can get to a final here. And once we get to that final, it's anyone's game. It's a 50-50 chance to win the Champions League. And what I loved about their performance today was in the very first minute, James Milner, you know, gave a flying tackle to Benzema. It was a nasty one. Casmero said, okay, cool. I'm going to get you. I'm going to clap And I think just that experience and that streetwise mentality that they yeah. have in that team is going to see them through to the final. 
what a week for them as well. Like knocking out Liverpool, yeah. winning the Classico, yeah. they're they're now probably favourites for the title as well. I mean, yeah. you think about where they were in the autumn and in the winter, and it was very much like a crisis club. Like you just thought it was the end of the Zidane era. Everything was falling to pieces. Atletico with the new kings on the block, on the block, and now they could do a Champions League and league double. And there, there's no club in the world right now who's better in the bigger moments than them. They just love it. They just live for it. And I just think that is that's something you can't coach, you can't teach. Like that's just something that comes from within a group of players who just know what they're doing and trust each other. And I just think that's going to be really interesting to watch going forward. Well, but Pete, my only concern for Madrid is do they have that individual quality to decide a match like the way PSG have it or a Manchester City have it or a Chelsea to a lesser degree? Do they have that individual quality to say, you know what, I'm going to pick this ball up, I'm going to create some magic and score a wonder goal? Um, that's the only problem. I so, yeah, they have it. But the problem is, is that it's either too far back in the pitch in Cruz and Modric or it's in mm-hmm. someone's boots who you don't know if they're going to do it every time. Like Vinicius <laughs> or Marco Asensio. I thought, I thought, I thought he wasn't, it wasn't his best game and for very obvious reasons, but I thought over the two legs, Benzema gave a really good performance. He's been great all season. And this is, this is it now. Like this will, this will be it for them. Like if they can get to the final without Ronaldo, you know Benzema's going to have a big say in that semi-final and potentially the final. And if they can do that, that is huge for that club because all of that success is identified with Ronaldo. And if they can get there without him, that is enormous. And it just shows, it shows the, the quality of the club. And I think from, as much as we like to joke about Florentino Perez for various reasons, like you can't deny what he's built there, <laughs> especially when you look at what's going on in Catalonia. Now we have to give credit to Zidane because it amazes me that he's not in the conversation of best manager in the world. People mention Pep, they mention Klopp. I don't know if it's because he's a quiet man, very unassuming. He doesn't really talk, but, you know, doing a three-peat and doing what they're doing, rejuvenating this t- group of players who are in their best form of the season so far, he needs greater respect on his name. Yeah. Mm, 100%. I hope that he is very much successful and he stays in the job at Real Madrid um, because then that increases the chances of Arsenal being able to sign <laughs> Odegaard. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to celebrate those small wins. <laughs> Going back to a point that Dej made um, a little while ago, which was that he felt that Liverpool went out um, uh, with a whimper. I think that that is that's debatable, but a team that certainly it isn't debatable for is Porto. I think they absolutely did go out with a bit with a whimper. <laughs> Uh, in the game, in the, the very in, last game in a in a game in the game against Chelsea. Um, so of course, um, Chelsea uh, got the in the first leg got uh, the two away goals um, and and didn't concede, and so really just needed to see out the, uh, the 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 return leg. And I think going into this game, my expectation was that Porto would. Um, start with a bit more intensity and really, really take the game to Chelsea because ultimately they've got nothing to lose. You know, they're already uh, down and out, and 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 everyone's expecting Chelsea to, to progress through to the next uh, stage. And so I, I did kind of expect, um, you know, a, a bit more of a gung ho approach to the game, certainly on the part of of Porto and, and and for them to throw caution to the wind. But, but we didn't really see that. Um, Pete, kick us off with with your thoughts on on, on this particular game. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's no surprise. This is the last one we talk about. It wasn't a great game. Um, really, neither of the two matches were brilliant, um, especially when you consider what was going on. Um, it's a weird one because, as with the first leg, I thought in many respects Chelsea were relatively in control, but at the same time, Paul always looked like they were going to create something. Um, I, th- I think you're being a little harsh, perhaps, on saying they went out with a whimper, especially after that late goal. Um, I think for considering how dominant the top five leagues have been in the Champions League. I think for a team like Porto to put in that performance was good. It's a really difficult task for them trying to build a competitive team in Europe because if you've got any good young players like Ruben Neves, they're just going to get taken by a big uh, club elsewhere. Mm. So then you're relying on basically rebuilding the careers of other players like Chancellor Mbemba. And I just think that the team that they put together is, is nice. And I think they, but I think that's about as far as they were ever going to go. For Chelsea, you've got to be super concerned that you couldn't score. Um, and I think, yeah, you can point to Pulisic playing really well. Um, but I thought after the uh, game against Crystal Palace, the Kai Havertz experiment as a false nine really came back to earth with a bit of a bump. Um, <laughs> I was really getting a bit overexcited about that on, on the weekend. Uh, and I just think if you if you if you can't if you can't be an effective false nine against Pepe, then you are going to get absolutely murdered by Sergio Ramos. Um, so I think, for me, I think this is as far as Chelsea go, probably. I can't see a way they beat Real Madrid. I just think they're so incomplete as a team. And I think that we're talking about, we're talking about City earlier and how they need an elite striker. We're talking about teams being able to finish their chances. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why Tammy Abraham isn't playing more at the moment. Because for whatever reason, Thomas Ducos decided he doesn't need Olivier Giroud. That's fine. I don't mind that. Giroud is a very specific type of striker. And if you if you didn't think he works in with your style of football, that's fine. I've got no issue with that. But Tammy Abraham can do a little bit of everything. He hasn't really got major weaknesses. Like, he's obviously got stuff he's not great at, but he's not like Giroud where, like, obviously he can't move. So, like, <laughs> you look at if you look at Abraham, he's got everything in his game. And above all else, he's got that understanding with players like Hudson-Odoi, Reese James, Mason Mount, because they've obviously been playing together for so many years. And I just... After his season last year, he's obviously gone a bit off the ball for Danny Abraham, but there's a really good player there. And I think it's a real shame that Tuchel's decided that he'd rather persist with Kai Havertz as a false nine than trying to play him. And I think you've got enough options elsewhere on the pitch. You don't need to try and like be funny with your striker. Just put Abraham or Werner there. And if you're not going to play Werner, if you, especially now because he seems to want to play Werner wide left. So I think my big takeaway from that is that Chelsea have got a goal-scoring problem and I don't care if they scored four against Palace, who are safe. So I think that will be a big question mark for them in the summer, like it will be for everyone else. Mm. Yeah, but I think one of um, Tuchel's remits for coming in was to get the best out of Kai Havertz. And this might be a bit of a political you know, mm. move, the reason why he's playing Kai Havertz as, as a false nine. Obviously, we saw him at Bayer Leverkusen. He was in a rich vein of form. So he sort of probably said, you know, go and recreate that. But... Obviously, assessing the game, I think Boyd was a bit harsh with Porto because mm. we're expecting them to do something that they've never done before. They're not an expansive team. They're a team that sit in that low block and try and drag teams down, drag mm. teams down to their level and outshine them. And I think that's what we saw to a large extent. They weren't going to come out and say, you know what, we're going to play gung-ho, attacking, expansive football. They haven't got the players for that. You know, they've got you know, target men in Marega. They've got Oliveira, who's a smooth technician. Mm. And for me, this game was just sort of like a box ticking exercise 
for Chelsea. You know, and we saw some streetwise play, winning fouls, slowing the ball down. And I think Tuchel came out and said he was impressed with the overall performance. Obviously, he didn't want to lose the game. But again, the job was done in the first leg, obviously winning 2-0. So it's about managing the tie and that's what they've done. Mm. Uh, uh, no, I agree with Pete, but I don't agree with Pete when he said Tammy's form has dropped off this season because he's got 12 goals in 30 games. He's Chelsea's top goal scorer. So I don't understand his omission. And Tammy Abraham's a good player and I think he's... Partly to do with the Chelsea fan base, they seem to have some impatience towards him where they feel like, listen, we can do better than Tammy. But this is a guy that loves Chelsea. He's gone through the academy. He gives his all in training. He gives his all when he's on the pitch. And he tries his best to score goals for Chelsea. So I don't understand why he's being omitted from the squad. Mm. Problem is, is that, so it's the games where those goals are coming in, like Barnsley. West Bromwich Albion, <laughs> Brent, Sheffield United, Newcastle, West Ham, Arsenal, but that was no, but, in the no, but, yeah. <laughs> I fully understand that. But when you look at Timo Werner's goal breakdown, it's very similar to that. So no, I don't no, understand no. why Kai Havertz is being prioritised and Timo Werner is being prioritised, but Tammy Abraham can't even get into the squad. Yes, yeah. I know he's had injury problems, but he's good enough to get into that Chelsea squad. We all know the reason why, though. We all know the reason why. Bernard Havertz were massive financial signings, so they have to work. Tammy Abraham is a player that came through the academy, and he's not given the same preferential treatment. That's simple, in my opinion. Well, you could argue that actually last year, those academy players were given the preferential treatment over some other players because of the remit that Lampard was given. I don't think you're wrong, but I think... Chelsea are wrong because I think I, you, know, you have to, especially at this end of the season when everything, every game for Chelsea between now and the end of the season matters so much. And I think you can play around with Havertz and try and do stuff with him over the summer. But right now you have to focus on getting back into the top four. And yeah, I know you played well against Palace, but I don't think that he's an answer as a false nine on a permanent basis. You can do it to mix it up and surprise teams. That's great. But Whilst I agree with putting Timo Werner out wide, because I think that's or just wider as a 10, I think that's better for him. It lets him make those bursts from deep. You need someone to be a focal point there, someone who can play in and around, especially if you've got the runners off him. And I, yeah, I agree with what's been said. Like I don't I I know why it's happening, but it's not okay. And that's basically been the story of Chelsea for the last like eight years or so, really, since they won the Champions League. Sorry, but I'm disagreeing with Pete again. I think Kai Havertz should only play if he's playing in a false line because I don't think he's good enough to be that floating midfielder or that number 10. I don't think he retains possession enough. I don't think he's as technically secure as the traditional number 10s that we see. So I think he is a player that needs to be that vocal point up top to run into space and make third run man runs into the box from a false line position. So I think that is his best position. You can't pay £75 million for a player who can play one very specific role on the team. That is yeah, but, just not... Pete, that's not... There's so, but Pete, there's so many players like that, and I think that's why I always have reservations over that type of player. For example, we've seen Deli Ali, we've seen Anton Griezmann, we've seen Thomas Muller, but he's had to reinvent himself. So I think Kai Havertz, he's a very specific player. You need to play to his strengths, and I don't think he's good enough for Chelsea to build a team around him. I think you can play him as the 10, though. Like, he's got some really nice close control. He shows off these little touches that he does. Mm. I think he can link the play. Like I think if you're playing him as one of the 10s 
with a speedy with another 10 so if it's either Pulisic or Werner on the other side then I think you've got a nice little trio who can link it the problem is, is that we're trying to talk about playing Abraham Werner and Havertz together and that's not including Pulisic Mason Mount Hakim Ziyech like Chelsea have got too many players at the moment in those four positions mm. my worry is is that one of them's going to go and if it's Abraham I feel like Chelsea can be making a big mistake I think just very lastly on the game, I, I wasn't impressed by Chelsea. I mean, you need to show that you can compete in this competition. You're one of the better teams in this competition. You're meant to go out against Porto, dominate the game from minute one, show your intent, score some goals, build some confidence. And I think I was left disappointed for them to lose the game at Stamford Bridge. That's not good enough. And I think Real Madrid will be looking at that, analysing that game and thinking, look, this Chelsea team, they're here to be got at. Yeah, I think the last points I make is actually on a more positive note, I'd give shout-outs to Antonio Rudiger and Ben Chilwell. I mean, obviously, Rudiger's been playing really well since Thomas Tuchel came in. We know that. We expected that. But actually, in the early days of the Tuchel regime, it looked like Chilwell might be the odd man out because Marcus Alonso was obviously thriving as that left wing-back. But Chilwell's come in the last two or three weeks and he's absolutely nailed on now to start that. So obviously, as if you're if you're Chelsea and you've spent £50 million on him, you're pretty happy that's the case. You don't want him being yeah. beaten out by someone who can't defend. <laughs> so I think that I think that for Chilwell, it's great for him because it obviously means he's back in contention for England. Um, and for Chelsea, I think Chilwell gives them that little bit more defensive stability. And you don't the only thing you really lose going forward is obviously Alonso's great in the air. But apart from that, you don't really lose too much. And I think I think the balance of the team is starting to come together, but only up until the final third. And I think, as we said, that's just going to be a real problem for them. I just I don't know how you can only you can't you, they weren't even really mustering chances in that game. They actually probably mm. created more in the first leg. And I just think you look at the way how doggedly Real Madrid defended in this game tonight. I just think you, I can't see a way in which Chelsea get more than two goals across the two legs. Mm. Mm. And and just on that point as well, Pete. That's part of the reason why I'm I'm a bit disappointed that Porto didn't really lay a glove on 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 Chelsea. Just given the fact that, that there was opportunities, you know, you've got, I, I mean, for, for me, the first question I have is why on earth Taremi didn't start, right? He's got 16 goals so far this season. We've seen how much of a nuisance he can be, even in that, the tie against Juve, we saw just his presence in the box. It creates a, a nightmare for defenders. So why he didn't start, I, I, I don't quite understand, particularly because if you look at where, so, so, sorry, Dot. So really quickly, where, if you look at where Porto had success, it was Sanusi, the left back down that that flank, um, uh, whipping balls in, but there was no one really to get on the end of them until we saw late on Taremi with that absolutely amazing uh, consolation goal. And then on the right-hand side, you've got Corona. So that's why I'm like, wh- why? why? Why didn't Taremi start this game. I, I just don't understand why. Sorry, Doc. I genuinely think Porto thought this game was over. This tie was over. Losing 2-0 at home. Mm. Do we need to risk Taremi? I think he missed the first leg and then said that that was a big miss for Porto because he could have been the difference maker for Porto in the first leg. So I, I genuinely think they didn't have any belief going into this second leg. 2-0 mm. down against a two-shell team that controlled possession against Chelsea at their home ground when you're already the underdog. So I think they literally mm. ripped the game off. Mm. Yeah, I think I think I think their priorities are the league. I think they want to try and catch Sporting, and obviously, it's not every season at the moment that Benfica are having an off year. So I think they just want to yeah. 
it's obviously disappointing because you you want I mean yeah if it was there it was there but I'd I wonder if 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 their if Porto's passivity played into Chelsea's and I think if Porto up the tempo a little bit more I wonder if Chelsea might have responded as well I think mm. both teams sort of it was yeah it was a bit of a, it was just a tame match both teams came in they both sort of shook their hands, went off, and they'll go on their own separate ways. It really was as simple as that. Yeah, 100%. Um, just final question before we wrap up. Um, so we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, that Havertz is, is playing in that um, false nine position. And, of course, there's there's some rejigging that's gone on in the team to accommodate that. And, and I suppose the question that I wanted to ask you, Pete, is do you have any concerns in terms of the balance of the team, obviously um, it was Mount and Pulisic that were playing um, together with um, Havertz in, the, in, uh, in that front three. But, I mean, is that a concern at all in terms of Mason Mount in particular, who, of course, a lot of people will consider Chelsea's best player this season? Do, do, you, do you feel that it's, it's playing him out of position a little bit? Do you feel that it potentially might not be allowing to get the team to get the best out of him if he's shipped out into that wider position further forward? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Like, I think it worries me that Tuchel has been in the job for a couple of months now and doesn't seem to know what that best three is for him. Like, I think you want a squad, you want to rotate. That's part of being a big club. But you want to have an idea of who your ideal three is. And I, don't think, I think if you ask 10 Chelsea fans tomorrow who they'd start as their preferred three, you'd get seven or eight different answers at least, if not 10. For, for Mount, I think he's fine. I think he's young enough that you can let him play a bit wider at the moment. Like, I think the way Tuchel wants those tens to play, I think he's he still wants them to be moderately narrow. So I'm not too worried about that. I maintain, I think, longer term, his future is probably playing deeper. But I think for now, I think you just let him play in one of those three roles and just keep doing what he's doing because... He's easily Chelsea's most important player right now, and I think he goes. Like, they go as he goes. So I think if I was Real Madrid, the one thing I take out of those two legs is that I'm putting Casemiro on Mason Mount, and that's and that's that, and that's going to end that. Hundred <laughs> percent. We have to wait and see. Thank you very much, gents. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for sharing your uh, your thoughts and views on on um, this round of fixtures. Of course, now we we await the the semi finals. Like we already mentioned, there's some you know, big heavyweight clashes in 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 these semi-finals, uh, particularly with uh, PSG and City, and I, I absolutely can't wait to see those two lock horns. So, um, you know, we'll we'll leave it there, and um, of course, regroup when it comes round to that time where we get to see those semi-finals. So, uh, thanks for all of you listeners for listening up until this point in time, and we're going to catch you guys on the next episode. Over and out. 